The title of this morning's message is God is for me. And I want to use as our starting verse Romans chapter 8 verse 31. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 is one of those verses that if you've been in the church for any period of time, it's like John 3:16. You've heard it. And you know it's in there even if you don't know where in there it is. And it's just one of those verses that people like to say, God is for me. But today, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask for your attention for a short period of time because I want to deconstruct this verse so that we can reconstruct it. And in the reconstruction, it can build a greater level of faith in our lives so we can live on a higher level with less fear and more faith. Amen. So let's go ahead and read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, reading it to you out of the New American Standard. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Amen. The first question that I want to answer is this. What are these things? What are the things that Paul says we're supposed to say something to? Let's look back a few verses at Romans chapter 8, verse 18, and Paul tells us exactly what these things are. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, stop right there. This is what Paul's talking about. The things that Paul says that you and I are to speak to are the things we suffer in this present time. The things that oppose us, oppress us, persecutions, prosecutions, torment, injustice, sickness, disease, any of the things that we suffer in this present age, Paul is telling us how to put them in their place and give them proper perspective. I want to say something about Paul. Put up on the screen, if you would, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, and I want you to see this because... I want you to understand some things about faith. And Paul was the original word of faith preacher. See, some people got a bad idea about word of faith and what it is. I'm going to tell you straight up. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm a word of faith preacher. I believe in grace and love and hope and healing and prosperity. I believe in the goodness of God. And I'll never make an apology for being a word of faith preacher because Paul was the model. And this is what Paul says right here in Romans chapter 10, verse 8. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, which we are preaching. So if you ever hear anyone say, the, I heard a pastor say this one time. He said that the word of faith is more dangerous than Al-Qaeda. And I'm like left speechless. You're telling me the word of faith giving hope to people is more dangerous than terrorism. I understand full well that there are some people that preach goofy things and call it faith. But I've said this to you before. If somebody preaches error, even if they dress it in faith, it's not faith. If they preach error and dress it in grace, that don't make it grace. I've seen some people put clothes on their dog that doesn't make it your baby. 
It's a dog. You can dress something up, but that don't make it anything other than what it is. If somebody preaches error and calls it faith, it is not faith. Paul preached faith. Jesus preached faith. Moses preached. Everyone in the Bible preached faith, and they preached a very particular type of faith. Here's what I want to say about Paul. Paul was a word. Go ahead and put verse 18 back up there, back up on the screen. Paul was a word of faith preacher. But Paul understood, and hear me when I say this, we know that faith works by love. But faith is built on knowledge. You can't have faith for something you don't know. You can can have wishful thinking, but you can't have biblical faith unless you know what says the Lord. This is the reason why the Bible says faith comes by faith. Hearing the word of God. The only way you can know if I can have faith for that is did God say it? Because God watches over his word to perform it, not our wishful thinking. God watches over his word, not our interpretation of it. So when we know what God said, we can have faith for it. Now I want to go a little bit further with this. Paul, being a word of faith preacher, was not a denier. Selah. What do you mean by that? Paul did not believe that faith denied present reality. Faith, hear me, you know, it went so quiet because some of us have been taught if we're walking in faith, even if we just cut off our leg, we deny it. We got gangrene from the hip down. No, 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 I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I'm just fine. You're puking blood. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm good. That's not faith. Faith is not a denial. Faith is a proclamation. There's a difference. Paul talked about sufferings. He knew that there was suffering in the world. But look at this, what he said. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what he was saying is there are things that we are suffering, but they are so much lower than the glory that they ought not to occupy the space in your brain at the same time. You ought to be so focused on the glory that when you suffer, you put the suffering in its proper place. So I want to say it again. Faith is not a denial. Faith is a proclamation. Faith doesn't deny that your present situation is like a dumpster fire. Faith proclaims that your God is a firefighter. So even though your world is burning down, God is rolling up his sleeves and coming to your help. So faith is a proclamation of a truth that is greater than our reality. Is this making sense to you? This is what you're going to have to understand in order to understand what Paul said when he said, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the things that oppose us? What shall we say to the things that are contrary to our faith? What shall we say to sickness? What shall we say to injustice? What shall we say when we're prosecuted and persecuted for righteousness sake? What shall we say to these things? We're going to proclaim a higher reality, a higher truth. See, I read one time, is this okay this morning? That reality is perception. And that makes a lot of sense because your world is how you perceive it to be. 
So your reality is the perception of your mind. It's a construct of your mind. But truth is not a construct. Truth is a person. And that person is greater than your perception of your reality. God is for you right where you are. That's truth. Is this making sense to you? So proclamation of truth as being greater than your reality. This past week, I, I reached out to a, a, a gentleman who used to be a member of Real Life Church, and he and his wife have uh, gotten too old to travel, and so, but I still I love the man and I respect him. And I reached out to him just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, and how are you doing? And he wrote me back, and he gave me a laundry list of things that were going wrong with his wife. She's been in the hospital and rehab ever since September. From the hospital to the rehab, from the rehab to the hospital, from the hospital back to the rehab, from the rehab back to the hospital. <clears throat> and you just, if you read that, you think, oh my goodness. But then he ended his text this way. But my God is greater. My God is stronger. My God is mightier. And I said, that's the spirit of faith. It doesn't deny, but it proclaims. And see, as long as you can proclaim his greatness in the midst of your trials, you are walking by faith, and faith is the victory. It's the proclamation of a greater truth. So now put back up on the screen, if you would, Sister Fowler, verse 31, because I want you to see this. So we know what these things are. These are the things that we suffer in life. Paul said, what shall we, what shall we, notice he did not say think about, did not say contemplate. Paul said, we should say to these things. And I want you to notice this, I'm going to go back to say, but he said we should say to these things, not about these things. But to these things. You see, this is, this is sometimes where we struggle in faith. We don't understand that if we're walking by faith, first thing we got to know is the Bible pays the worst type of insult to silent faith. It ignores it. Silent faith is not biblical faith. Bible faith always has had a voice, and it's a triumphant voice. It's not a whining voice. It's a triumphant voice. And tr biblical faith has always spoken to things, visible and vi invisible. Jesus spoke to weather. Jesus spoke to a fig tree. Jesus then instructed his disciple to speak to mountains. And Paul's saying the same thing. He said, I don't want you to talk about your problems. I want you to talk to your problems. There's a massive difference between talking about and talking to. Too many of us talk about. We need to learn to talk to. We're supposed to say something to the things that oppose us. <laughs> what are we supposed to say? God, let's say this together, God is for me. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your trouble, what you're supposed to say to those things that oppose you is, listen, there's one who's greater than you, and he is for me. He ain't against me. He's for me. 
And there are times, listen, it's not always going to look like he's for you. It's not always going to feel like he's for you. But this is why if we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we walk by faith and not by sight. Because it may not feel like God is for me. But I know that God is not a liar. If he has said it, he watches over it, and he will perform it. So in the middle of the dumpster fire of my life, I can stand in the middle of the dumpster fire and declare God is for me. When the doctor has said you're going to die and not live, I can say to these things, God is for me. Who are we supposed to say it to? To those things. So when you get that notice that says that they're going to reclaim your car, foreclose your house, and you ain't got a job, you shall say to these things, God is for me. I hope I'm preaching well enough you're ignoring the jack. So my question then is this, if God is for me, what does that mean? See, I told you we're going to deconstruct it. Is being for the same as being with? Because I've heard people say this, that God is with you, and he is. But that ain't what Paul is saying. See, you can, you know, I can be with you and not for you. We call those people frenemies. They pretend to be your friend, but they'll rejoice at your trial. <laughs> I'll say this because I know he'll watch it inevitably, but one of my best friends in the whole world is a wonderful pastor named Ronnie Reed. And Ronnie, I just went down and preached his 30th not long ago, his 30th anniversary, and I told the whole church, I love Ronnie, but he disgusts me. <laughs> because he's disgustingly talented. He can do anything. He can sing, he can dance, he can preach, he wears suits that normal men would never even buy. <laughs> He's got a good head of hair. And when I said that in his church, he stood up and said, Amen. I said, Shut up and sit down, it's my sermon. But I remember a time, and I told this whole church this I said, I remember back in the early days of his church when he couldn't find a drummer. And so he, he told me one day, he said, I'm going to have to teach myself how to play the drums because I can't find a drummer. And I, and the, I listened. I'm just, confession's good for the soul, right? On the outside, I said, go for it, bro. You can do anything. And on the inside, I thought, finally, Superman has met his kryptonite. <laughs> and I waited for him to call me and say, dude, I just can't get it. I just can't get it. And one day I went to his church, and the dude was leading worship from the drum set. And I was like, come on, God. Seriously. You see, I was with him. But I wasn't for him. And so when Paul said, God, Adonai, Yahweh, El Shaddai, the creator of everything that exists, he said, not only is he who is omnipresent and can't help himself but be with you, he is for you. And I want to tell you what that, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap. 
Because this is what it means to be for. It means to support, to advocate, and to stand with someone in every aspect of life. So that means God is supporting you. Every day, everywhere, no matter what the report is you got, no matter how you feel, no matter what it looks like, no matter who just walked away from you, no matter who told you you'll never make it, you'll never succeed, and you'll never come out of the housing project, God is supporting you. God is advocating for you. That means he's arguing your case. He's standing with you. It means care, understanding, and a willingness to assist and encourage to help to succeed. So when Paul said God is with you, he was communicating this to saints who were suffering persecution and prosecution, being put to death. He said, listen, God is advocating your case. God is supporting you. He's running to your side. He's with you every step of the way. And he is going to make a way where there seems to be no way for you. God is for you. My goodness. So our, listen to this, our sure, never failing, everlasting friend is engaged for our salvation and happiness both in time and eternity. That's good stuff right there. So what real hurt can the world do? I mean, no weapon formed against you can prosper. Every scheme of the enemy will come to nothing. Put up on the screen, if you would, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 19. Is this okay this morning? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to this. And they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. There's a verse in the Bible that says, they'll come, Steve, they'll come against you one way. And that means in order. They'll come against you in order, but they'll flee from you in confusion. They'll trip over themselves trying to get away from you because when they come against you, they're going to encounter something they didn't think they're going to encounter, and that is the God who is for you because God stands between you and it and says, if you want her, you got to get through. Man, I think sometimes we give God too little credit. They will fight against you. They will not overcome you. Why? For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. This is, listen, this is why we courageously defy and resist our enemies, both visible and invisible. As I said, faith is not a denial. I don't deny these trials. I just deny the right of the trial to overcome me. I don't deny there's pain. I just deny the right of pain to dictate to me the quality of my life. Because faith is a proclamation that there is one who is above all, beyond all, and who will rule forever. And he loves me, and he is for me. Mm. So to each and every power that seeks to harm us, we declare 
God is for me. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms 118. I want to read verses 1 through 6. Psalm 118. The psalmist said this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, O let Israel... And we're going right back to that. Remember I told you, biblical faith ain't silent faith. If you don't say nothing to your enemies, you are already surrendering. Selah. I want to say that again. If in the face of adversity you grow silent, you let the devil win. But if in the face of adversity you'll declare the word of God, you'll make your voice harmonize with his voice. You will say about your present situation exactly what he has said about you. You will declare, I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. I am the healed of the Lord. I am the supplied of the Lord. God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory. God is with me. He is for me. He is in me. And you deny the right of your opposition to win the battle. They'll fight against you. But they will not win. So let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord, that's you and me. Let them say his loving kindness is everlasting. From, now listen to what David said. From my distress. Not from my palace. From my distress. I ain't going, I, listen, I ain't going quiet just because it ain't going good. It doesn't take no faith to shout when everything's going right. <laughs> but when it hurts. And when you look around your life and ain't nothing seemingly going the way God declared it would go. Uh -huh. right. Now it takes faith. Yes. For you to stand right in the middle of that distress and call upon the Lord. Yes. David said, the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Yes. Now different translations word it different ways. Some call it a wealthy place. An enlarged place. But in the Hebrew, here's what it means. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this? Are you ready for it? It means he set you free. He put you in a free place. He put you in a place of freedom. He took you from distress and trouble and put you in a place of hope, joy, and peace. Why? Because when you were in distress, you called out upon him. Hmm. Verse 6, listen to this. Sounds very familiar. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But you notice the lack of fear only comes after the declaration. David had to know the Lord is for me. When you know that you know that you know. You're not walking by sight. You're not judging the faithfulness of God by your present environment. And you know that no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, no matter what they've said to you, no matter what they've said about you, 
God is for you. When you know that, your declaration is, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is for me. The writer of Hebrews echoed this. Is this okay this morning? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So that we confidently... You can't escape that. I mean, if we're going to be honest and we read the Bible everywhere, we'll see the people of God were talking. And when they were walking in faith, they were talking triumphantly. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. I remember years ago, in the little town I grew up in, I was riding my bicycle and I rode it in the wrong area. And I got attacked by this, this one, they were Mongols. They were big and ugly. The whole family was ugly. I think they were inbred. And they were violent. And I rode by their house and they attacked me. And they were much older than me. And so they got the better of me. But I had a friend. His name was Dave Osterlin. Dave was big. And I went to Dave's house because Dave didn't live too far away. And Dave said, man, what happened to you? And I said, Dave, it was unfair, I tell you. Four to one. I would have had him if it had just been one. But four to one. He said, let's go. I said, okay. <laughs> and so we went to their house. And Dave was behind me. And I found such bravery. I stood at their gate and I begged him, come on out. They wouldn't come out. Why? Because Dave was for me. See, when you know that no matter where you go in life, no matter how big your Goliath is, no matter how much they taunt you, you can stand there in the face of adversity and go, God is for me. God has got my back. God has got my front. God is on both sides. He's above. He's beneath. He's all the way around me. What can you do to me? Because God is for me. Mm. The result of saying these things, God is for me, is that we will not fear. Because we realize there's nothing that man can do to us. When I was preparing this sermon, I ran across the story. How many of you ever heard of this guy named Toby Mack? I love his, especially his newer stuff. So filled with grace and hope. But he shared a story that when his son, I think his son was 22 at the time, died of an accidental fentanyl overdose. And Toby's story is he said he went to a dark place. And he said, I didn't think I'd ever be able to write an upbeat song again. And then one day, this is his story, he said he was reading in Psalm 98 out of the Message Bible. And this is the verse, Psalm 98, verse 1, if you would put it up on the screen. He said this changed everything. He read, sing to God a brand new song. He's made a world of wonders. He rolled up his sleeves. He set things right. And Toby said when he read that, this is what he said. He said, I read that God is rolling up his sleeves. And I just thought, what a promise that is. 
What comfort to think that the God of all creation is literally rolling up his sleeves on our behalf. And then he thought, on my behalf. It became real that in the middle of his distress, his only child had just died of a fentanyl overdose. He didn't think he'd ever be able to write an upbeat song again. And he read this verse, God has rolled up his sleeves. God is for me, in other words. And he wrote the song, Help is on the way. Never too late, never too early, but help is on the way. Everyone say this, help is on the way. God has rolled up his sleeves. God is not watching you suffer and he's being apathetic and lethargic about it. God is just waiting for you and I to call upon him. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I'm beginning my first closing, which literally means nothing. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 39. I want to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. Finishing up Paul's thoughts. He said, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Verse 33, who then would dare to accuse these whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over us, not guilty. Mm. Verse 34, who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Yes, Verse 35. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For God, for nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressure, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions? Deprivations, dangers, and death threats. No, they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake. God, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. He continues in verse 37. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated love is our greatest, our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Yeah.
Paul in Romans 8, he said, if God be for us, I want to circle back to that real quick and then we'll bring it to a close. That word if there is not put there for uncertainty. It's not as if God or Paul was unsure if God was for him. It was put there to help the flow of the English language. I, I just feel like chasing a rabbit. In the, in the Greek language, there is no if and there's no be. So really what Paul said, a transliteration would be this. God for us. Who against us? Kind of like Genesis where we read, God said, let there be light. And that's not really what he said. What he said was simply, light be. Kind of short, concise, and powerful. And it's the same thing. What Paul said is, God for us. Who against us? Just like he said, you know, these things that we suffer in the present age, they don't even deserve to be considered in the same thought or mentioned in the same sentence as the glorious love of God which has been poured out upon us. God for me. Who can be against you? There's no fear of man. There's no fear of demons. There's no fear of devils. There's no fear of darkness. Because Paul said it in the... Who? What? How can anything separate us from the love of God? God is for us. Period. That settles the argument. God is for us. Now, I'm closing with this. Because there's three things that Paul mentioned in, in Romans 8. That we have to comply with if we want to enjoy this position of being fearless in the face of opposition. Paul said, we've got to be more than convinced. We have to be overwhelmingly convinced that God is for us. I want to say that again. Overwhelmingly convinced. Because life will throw some things at you that if at all possible will cause you to doubt that God even knows who you are, let alone loves you. But it's in those times when you most urgently need to be overwhelmingly convinced. Convinced of what? God is for me. I'm convinced of it. Nothing can change my mind. God is for me. The next thing we have to do is be overwhelmingly confident. Not uncertain. Not wondering, well, you know what? I know God was for me yesterday. Maybe today he's taking the day off. No, we have to be overwhelmingly convinced. We have to be overwhelmingly confident. And then lastly, we have to overwhelmingly conquer. Now, the first two are the result of God knowing that God be for us. The last one, we overwhelmingly conquer because... God is for us. So because God is for us, sickness can't overwhelm us. Pain can't take us down. There's nothing God can't heal you from. There's no distress God can't deliver you out of. There's no miry clay he can't lift you out of. There's no sin he can't rescue you from. There's no darkness so dark he can't turn on the light. There's nowhere you can go to escape his love. His love is overwhelming. His love is everywhere. And his love is focused on you at all times. 
Stand to your feet this morning. Lift your hands to the Lord. Prayer team, if you would, come up at this time. We're going to pray together, but if you're here this morning, you're watching us online, and you've never received this wonderful Savior named Jesus Christ. Today's your day. It could be the beginning of the best years of your life. All you need to do is receive his love. He's not out to punish you or condemn you. He's out to redeem you. For the rest of us, I want you to lift your hand. I'm going to pray and then we're going to make a proclamation at the end. The proclamation is well known by now. We're going to proclaim God is for me. But I want you to let me pray and then we'll say it together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the wonderful opportunity to stand before your ambassadors, your children of light, and to declare your word. Father, I pray that this morning you have created wellness with words. Father, that you have infused dented faith with wholeness so they would not be disappointed, but Father, that your people would be encouraged and strengthened and be willing to declare to visible and invisible enemies that you are with them at all times. So, Father, in this season, in this present place, no matter what our reality is, we say this together, and I want you to say this loud. Ready? God is for me. Give the Lord a shout of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. One other thing I want to say, this is a place of grace, but you all have already been judged. And I'm talking about your ugly sweaters. <laughs> because what you don't know is that we've had some people, I think everyone got a ballot, but we've had a certain group of people that have been going around and judging you and looking for true blue ugliness. Some of you got to work really hard to be ugly because you're so good looking. I had a couple of people say, Pastor, that, that jacket, that don't qualify as ugly. I said, I just can't do ugly. I'm just one of those people that just don't fit because everything looks good on me. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The winner of the Ugly Sweater Contest will be announced on December the 24th. Okay, so you're going to have to wait because this year we're doing more than just giving you out a, a plastic little trophy. There's going to be dinner for the winner. Amen. So on December the 24th, some of you will have to wear your ugly sweaters again so we can know why you're getting dinner. Amen. All right. With that, if you need prayer this morning for anything at all, your success is on honor. Please let us pray with you. The rest of you go in the grace and the glory of God and spread his cheer around. Merry Christmas. We love you.